It helps when things obviously taste good. Right. It helps when you provide um, a hospita- a level of hospitality that just feels so welcoming. Um, it's easy to get people into your pocket in the sense where they feel comfortable and they release some preconceived notions of what they might not like. Sure. You know, and um, it is really a matter of earning their trust. Welcome to Tampa's Table, A Culinary Journey. I'm Jeff Houck. I'm Vice President of Marketing for the 1905 family of restaurants. And we're gonna talk about innovative menus today with Farrell Alvarez, chef and co-owner of the Proper House Group, which includes Rooster in the Till, the Nebraska Mini Mart, Dang Dude, and Gaito. Welcome. Thank you so much. Good to have you back at the table, man. Thank you for having me. So how do you know when you have a hit that's also innovative? Hmm. Not until like month two or three when it pops off and you get some good revenue and some good demand. But we feel we get to a point where we test things and we crunch things, you know, behind the scenes and try to find holes in it. And um, once we figure that we've minimized that opportunity mm-hmm. to find the holes in it, then we go forward. What's exciting you right now? Whew, so many things. You know, I think that, you know, we're living in the land of opportunity, right? It's um, an entrepreneur's dream right now with Tampa and things popping up every day every week um that's very exciting to see the city grow you know you and i've been here for a very long time we have and um i was the the kid 25 years ago complaining that there was nothing downtown and uh, it was tumbleweeds after 5 p.m so to see all the growth just in this immediate area let alone tampa bay in general is really exciting to me a quarter century is a long time in the industry um tell me about how it's changed and especially how it's changed in the past five years since the last tampa's table cookbook came out Oh, it's changed tremendously. You know, I think you probably know the statistics more than I, but I I imagine we have three to four times the amount of restaurants now in the past five years. I think that, you know, with the attention of Michelin in the state of Florida now, it's kind of made people a little bit more aware consumer from a consumer base. And I think from an entrepreneurial restaurant tour base, it's, you know, maybe lit some fire under some people and put a little bit more quality focus in their eyes. So I think that's a huge bonus for us. So talk a little bit about Michelin and why it's important. Uh, Michelin is important. I think um, most importantly from a visitor tourism you know, perspective, people, there's a lot of people in the world that just travel based on the Michelin Guide. So you know, when people are coming to Tampa Bay, they're looking at the Michelin Guide and you know, seeing who's getting mentioned and you know, that's driving their decisions. Um, also, I think, like I said, you know, it raises the bar for the restaurateurs, hopefully, that they start to realize that there is a level of criteria and integrity that you should be uh, maintaining and you know, just doing things properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of those things combined is really a bonus uh, for Michelin to be recognizing the state of Florida. And your level of Michelin recogni- uh, recognition, um, what, how has that um, changed who's coming to your restaurants? I, I, don't, I, just, I don't truly know the answer to that. I would say that you know, just by watching how it's been over the past year and now year and three months, um, I think it's more of an education from the consumer perspective. Mm-hmm. They're starting to, people that knew Michelin were like, oh, cool, this is a Michelin place. So they're bring, it's bringing more attention mm-hmm. in a positive way. And people that didn't know about Michelin are looking into what Michelin is and they're reading about Michelin. They're understanding the criteria. And then they're, I think it's opening their eyes a little bit more in terms of how people should be sure. running food and beverage, you know, hospitality uh, restaurants and, and, and venues. So hopefully it's, it's increasing the quality uh, across the board. So uh, back to innovative menus, what's your process for how you 
come up with a dish, uh, play with it a little bit, figure out what works, and then put it on the uh, put it on a menu. And I understand there's, there might be a difference for each concept because you have different goals and different clientele and different locations. Yeah, definitely. That's the first thing that came to mind when you asked the question is from Gaito Dangdu lunch lady perspective on the fast casual side. We have a director of culinary who's Mike Reams. Chef Mike's amazing. He um, opened up twenty. 21 burger 21s uh he worked with that group for a very long time mm -hmm. and uh so now he's with us and the way that they do that from a fast casual conceptual side is we see basically all data and metrics run that decision you know whatever our dead dogs we look at them and we think about what is selling well why is it selling well and then we dial in that we test some things behind the scenes with the sous chefs at each unit they kind of bring it to my attention then we do tastings from right. there i give them feedback couple more weeks on that then they dial it in again and then it usually goes to press and the unsexy stuff um you know how much does it cost what are the ingredients what are our sourcing what's the availability all of that definitely and you've always thought seasonally which is important but also you know i've been with you on bus tours i know what, where you go out to the farms and you meet the farmers and you find out you know what the best product they have and what time of year they have it so that's that's all part of it that nobody really sees yeah absolutely and that heavily drives rooster as well that type of mentality with rooster it's a completely different beast um we have a new chef there chef martin de Seuss now uh, he's been with us for going on two months um prior to that you know i've been with brian lampy as my executive chef yeah. for 16 years he's been working with me you know so we're like, uh, he can think for me. But that process is a little bit different. You know, it's much more of a creative process for me. Uh, it's more of what's going on, what's trendy, what ingredients are coming out, uh, what I wanna push the envelope. If I see something going on in Tampa and uh, we have something similar on the menu, that's typically a trigger for me to change it. <laughs> I like to uh, just kind of, I, I don't wanna be um, doing the same old thing. You know, we, we have enough of uh, copy and paste. So I try to keep it a little bit more creative than that. I understand. The, um, so there's the um, business side of it. Obviously, you want to attract customers. How do you train the customers to expect the unexpected? Yeah, gift of gab really helps. You know, <laughs> uh, having Ty in the front of the house right. alongside of Miles and Carlin. And this is Ty Rodriguez. Yeah, Ty Rodriguez, my business partner, best friend, 20 years. Um, you know, he was the GM of Mise en Place. That's how we met right. 20 years ago. Uh, Miles Gallagher is our director of operations. He was formerly the manager of Rooster when we first opened 10 years ago. And then now Carlin Music is our general manager. Okay. So collectively, the three of them can pretty much talk anybody into anything. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it helps when things obviously tastes good. Right. It helps when you provide um, a a level of hospitality that just feels so welcoming. Um, it's easy to get people into your pocket in the sense where they feel comfortable and they release some preconceived notions of what they might not like, sure. you know? And um, it is really a matter of earning their trust when they're a little bit uncomfortable at Rooster from a food perspective. But we also have, you know, the gnocchi on the menu, which has been there since day one. And that quite frankly is like the one dish that is very approachable and, if you're into food, you like it. And if you are not into food, typically you like it as well because it's pretty, you know, it's pretty comforting. So that's like our, our gateway drug. Right. Um, so my gateway drug to you when you open Rooster, I know I bend your ear about this every time. <laughs> I, I dream about this dish. You had a dish which had cornbread, pork belly, yep. pickled apple, and peppercorn honey. Yeah. And there were four things on the plate and it looked so simple and it just was this massive contrast of sweet salty fatty 
um, tart. And I just thought, okay, the game has changed. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great. It's no longer on the menu. I will always hold it against you. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's given me a sense of that one bite told me what your philosophy was. And I'm wondering what ingredient right now are you excited to use that sort of lights people up like that, that, um, you know, you, you discover an ingredient and then you're like, okay, I think we can do this, 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 and this, or somebody comes to you from your staff and says, chef, I found this. What can we do with this? Um, tell me about sort of an ingredient that excites you right now and how you're trying to make it in a unique way that nobody else is doing, because there are so many great restaurants in Tampa now that everybody's looking for that unique thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that's a, that's a hard, that's a tough one. I think that the, the foundation of the dish that you were talking about is kind of the foundation of my cooking where I go pretty bold, um, heavily seasoned and definitely balanced from like a fatty, acidic, salty, sweet type of uh, flavor profile. Mm -hmm. That dish, like you said, the four ingredients really just spoke to that, you know. Um, I like things to be in your face and bold. I'm not like a gentle kind of poached salmon and uh you know really good olive oil sure. type of guy and there's a place for that you know i enjoy eating that myself but i think in terms of a single ingredient i'm not sure but for me it's always acid i need acid and salt you know from there i can build anything off of that and i think like having that combination really just makes things pop and i think that some people shy away from putting that extra pinch on there right and i think that's kind of where we're not scared to go that extra mile and we make things a little bit more bolder and they tend to slap you in the face from an umami perspective. Sure. So you started with Rooster in the Till, and then you started to make other concepts. Um, what made you think that that um, the audience that you had built at Rooster would follow you to the other places? Where Was it their acceptance of um, atypical food or unusual ingredients? And I mean, your hospitality is impeccable. It always Thank has you. been. Thank you. Um, and that's from a chef's coming over the counter and the servers as well. Everybody on your server staff is, is just bulletproof in my opinion. And, but you know, that's one thing in a sit down formal kind of setting. Uh, Nebraska mini Mart is not that. Yeah. And neither is Gaito, neither is dang dude. How do you know that, that people will follow you? Um, you don't, you know, hopefully you have some confidence and stuff and there's some, there's some numbers that prove that it's a good idea to move forward with the, uh, the next concept. I think that, Obviously, we leverage our brand that we built with Rooster. I think that is strong and it shows a great deal of integrity from a mm -hmm. hospitality perspective. But on the other concepts, we take a little bit of that, but we also take a little bit of a different approach in the sense where we understand that they might not know who Proper House Group mm -hmm. is, you know, just because we own Rooster and we have a good name there. A lot of people don't correlate Gaito, Dang Dude, Lunch Lady, all in Sparkman Wharf with that concept. Um, and sometimes they don't connect Mini Mart with it. Now, learning a little bit more about business education, you know, through, through the years, we're sure. starting to brand things differently and make sure that we do connect the dots. Um, but with those concepts, I also think that we look at what is the neighborhood need? Where is there, what, what's the void there? Uh, what would be cool from a different, from the con conceptual perspective. Right. And then we start to fill that void in that way. It feels like people who come to Tampa now, uh, as visitors, maybe even first time visitors feel like they have to eat in town to feel like they've been in Tampa. You know, there's always been the battleships of the Columbia or Burns, um, but now they, they're they hearing about this new wave that people are surfing for restaurants. And it's like, it's almost like food is the new souvenir. And if they come to uh, Rooster in the Till or any of your concepts, they're gonna get a very specific 
taste of Tampa. Yeah. Um, what is it that you want them to leave with? What memory are you striving to uh, to implant? Uh, just that Tampa is, you know, um, up to par, up to snuff with other cities. You know, I think that we've been the redheaded stepchild for so long from a hospitality perspective. And, you know, I've complained to you about it for so long about just not getting any, a couple conversations. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very hard to get uh, some love and attention right. down here. And I understand, you know, we've been slow growing for quite some time, but now I think we're on the up and up and obviously we're getting a lot of attention now. Um, I feel that well, most importantly, when people leave one of our establishments, I want them to feel like they had a true representation of Tampa, something unique, something right. interesting, something that speaks to our personalities as owners of the Proper House Group. I think that we provide that across the concepts and um, it's, a, it's a, unique, uh, a unique vibe that we give off. Cool. Hey, um, this is the hard hitting question. Let's go. Do you have a favorite tattoo? You have to have a tattoo to be innovative. No, not okay. at all. Because chefs have a ton of tattoos. Yeah. Um, I noticed someone, I think you have one on your finger that's like a meat cleaver. Is that correct? No, no, no. Oh, I'm totally misappropriate. I got I got the all seeing eye and then I got the Elvis uh, taking care it's of business a lighting. Okay. Yeah. I misunderstood that. My my terrible vision <laughs> made it look like maybe I'm thinking about butchery or something. Yeah, but yeah, do, you have, do you have a particularly meaningful one that you. Uh, you know, I have a lot that represents some people that have passed in my life. Right. So those mean a lot to me. Sure. Um, and then I have a lot of stupid ones that I got when I was about 17 <laughs> years old. And those are also pretty fun when you have to go to the beach and sure. you know your daughter's asking you what that's all about <laughs> but you know tattoos are uh, symbols of uh, great mistakes that you've made over the decades sure. and um i started off way too young getting tattoos i was i think i got my first one at 16 or 17 and my mom was certainly not happy and back then tattoos were not a fad now right. people get them like it's you know it's just uh you can buy them and put them on for 20 I, hours and then they're I, know, <laughs> I know i know back in my days it was um you know bikers and and gangsters sure. only had tattoos and my mom was pretty pissed but um, no, yeah, it, I have all kinds of mistakes all over my body, but I embrace them all. I hear you. So, you know, when I was um, uh, food writing for the Tampa Tribune, people would come and ask me, like, how do you do that? And all I was like, listen, I, I, I go and I read, and that inspires me to want to write better. As a chef, how do you get inspired to uh, innovate? Hmm. Is that because I, I know you eat at a lot of restaurants? Yeah, I study and, and uh, you study and and you analyze it. It's obvious anybody who's in the restaurant industry goes to another restaurant. You're picking it apart like Neo in the Matrix. You see zeros and ones. You don't see necessarily just oh, I'm going to have a casual meal. Yeah, it's it. Sometimes it's it's a pain in the ass to go out to dinner <laughs> with me. You know, my wife uh, definitely she sees it from a different perspective now. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking at what silverware you have. I'm right. looking at the what brand of plates. Exactly. I'm looking at uh, you know the construction of it and like, oh wow, that's a really great idea with the HVAC because I understand things way differently now than just you know putting food on a plate. Things that inspire me, you know, like everything inspires me. Frankly, like I'm into design as much as I'm into food. Sure. So I get off on the architecture, uh, the architect. Uh, architecture of the restaurants i get off on on how they design menus from a graphic perspective but i get inspiration from everything because i think there's so many amazing people out there not just here in tampa but yeah. all over the world and everywhere i go i find something that's super intriguing and i'm pretty hard on myself to the sense where i'm always like man like that's so much cooler than what we're doing and it that gives me fuel in a positive way sure. to to know that we have to continue to keep going or else people just forget about you and they move on to the next one. And in my business, that's not that's not a lucrative uh, approach. If you're not going forward, you're standing still and you're going backwards actually. Essentially, yeah. Um, so when you, you, know, you got your start, one of the places that you started was at Mise en Place. Obviously Ty was there with you. 
Um, and Marty is going to be a podcast guest oh, with yeah. us. Um, you know, the, the things you learn by working in a restaurant that you then take with you. Um, you know, the thing I'm excited about, and I've always been excited about your restaurants, is that it seemed a place that was a grow house, not just a business, and that you were growing to uh, attracting young talent and growing young talent. I've seen them go off and make other ventures. And I'm wondering, what was it that you learned at Mise en Place, specifically by watching Marty and Marianne, that you were able to kind of incorporate and then say, okay, when I start my place, I want to do this specifically? So much, right? I was there for seven and a half years. Um, Clearly that wasn't my first job. I started there when I was like 19 or 20. And at that point I had already been cooking for about five or six years. Um, but from them, I learned that was my biggest growth spurt in my life. You know, I went from being a punk ass kid to a punk ass adult, <laughs> you know, but I had my first child when I lived there. I bought my first home. Um, I went through real life with them in conjunction with my biggest growth spurt as a chef. Um, and they gave me the space and the toolage to, accept it, understand it, balance it, and then flourish with it. Marty gave me the space to be creative in his kitchen, which now in retrospect is a great deal of respect to let somebody have so much control in your kitchen, you know, because I have several kitchens now and it's very hard to relinquish control. Um, Marianne taught me that networking was one of my biggest things. And sure. at that time I had no idea the magnitude of that word and how, how that would really play such a major role in my life from a business perspective. Um, they taught me the importance of being a great person, even though I probably wasn't always a great person at that time in my life, because I was just a knucklehead doing crazy things. Man, so many different things, you know? And then also like in a, in a they would understand what I mean by this, because I, I mean it in a respectful way, but you also look at the things that you don't necessarily like in a restaurant sure. and you file those as well and be like, oh, well, when I, when I get my restaurant, I'm not gonna do that. And sometimes you learn like, well, you have to do those things in order to have the other thing fall right. or yeah, you didn't do that. And I was able to create something new by not doing that. So everything is a learning process. Well, there's also the moment where you thought you knew something that was different from what they did. And then you get out in your own uh, surfboard and you're like, oh, now I understand why they paddled so hard. 100%. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like raising children. It's right. the same thing, you know. And you, what you what you know and like now is not what you know and like in three years, six years, nine years, and so on and so forth. And you can either get frustrated at that and um, have resentment, or you can embrace it and look at it as growth and just continue to use it as fuel. And that's what I try to do most. Sure. So I know how much you love Tampa. I know how much you and Ty both love Tampa. Um, you know, rooster is named for the rooster. The rooster is so in. Right here, yeah. you know, we live it, we we wear it proudly. Um, is there a, a, one Tampa, when you gotta get centered and say, I wanna, I wanna taste my hometown, what is the flavor that you go for? Is it Cuban bread, is it guava, is it, um, you know, beer? Is there, is there a Tampa flavor that really kind of reminds you of where we live? Yeah, for sure. For me, you know, being um, part Colombian, my father's from Bogota, going to Antojitos is is a, is a big deal yeah. is is or not a big deal but it's like it's a staple it's just what you do and explain what that is uh, Antojitos is a Colombian restaurant mm -hmm. on Armenia and Columbus mm -hmm. um it was it's the second location I believe my dad knows the history way better than my dad's like the <laughs> Jeff Hauk of uh, Colombian restaurants <laughs> I'm sorry Tampa. to hear that <laughs> <laughs> but um you know so it's just um it's just a mom and pop Colombian style diner if you will you know and you go there for Sancocho you go there for 
some fresh fruit drinks and um it's just where dad and I go. We meet, we have an empanada, we have some sancocho, we have a coffee and we connect and then we move on with our day. Very much like every Cuban restaurant in Tampa. Sure. Um, but even that speaks to me. La, la Letronera and La Teresita yeah. really uh, speak to me. Just getting beans, rice and roast pork in some capacity, no matter if it's Puerto Rican, Cuban, Colombian. Right. To me, that's the quintessential Tampa, but I grew up with that. That's embedded in me as well. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of like what I think of. That's my reset button. So uh, your recipe for the Tampa's Table Cookbook, what did you provide? And This year we are showcasing the cobia collar. So this is um, one of those cult-like dishes that we have, I think, now. And if I take it off the menu, there might be a, a, they might revolt against me. <laughs> so we're taking these uh, cobia collars from Open Blue. So right. it's 100% sustainable cobia uh, fishery in Panama. What's a cobia collar? So it's literally the clavicle bone from the cobia, mm -hmm. cobia being you can catch them here in the bay actually it's a local white fish uh rather large meaty firm flesh uh the co the collar is exactly that it's going to have the pectoral fin it's going to look like a, a a large horseshoe if you will wow um definitely bone in first we sous vide them with a little bit of soy sauce and lemongrass and then to order we're dredging them in rice flour frying them super crispy and then we serve them in a little bit of a nook chom that has fish sauce lime juice a little bit of sugar uh, garnish them with some cilantro, Thai chilies. And it's just one of those dishes that I think every culture can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, for us, it's very much like fried fish and lemon. Uh, you got the whole cobia collar just sitting in a puddle of sauce and eat it much like fried chicken with your hands. You get messy with it. So messy that we actually give you uh, some hand wipes at the end. <laughs> you had me at puddle of sauce. Puddle of sauce, that gets you. What is it about the cobia collar that makes it flavorful? Is it the bone? Is it What, what is it? Yeah, well, I think that the... The collar itself has a lot of natural fat in it. Okay. Uh, the sous vide process, I think, exploits that fat in a good way. And then when we fry it, we fry it super high heat with the rice flour. So it gets really, really crispy and crusty on the outside. And the inside is just these big, huge, moist pockets of white fish. And then it's sitting in a very umami broth, if you will, of that nook cham, that fish sauce and the lime juice and the sugar gives you, like we spoke of, you know, it gives you that acidity, it gives you the saltiness and mm -hmm. it gives you some sweet flavors, a little bit of Thai chili and some cilantro on top, round out the savory and some spice and it just hits. There's certain things, as you mentioned, there's certain things that customers, you know, that resonate with customers so strongly. It's like, we can't take this off. We can maybe vary it a little bit and play with it, but it has such a visceral response to you like that. That is a foundation for us. Yeah, that's, I've that's hard to analyze that. It is, it is. Um, you know, sales and immediate feedback help you decipher that. But for us, it's like finding that balance where we want to keep a couple of those dishes as staples, right. but then we really don't. Right. Like we would all love to change the gnocchi, um, but it's like one of those things that's just so simplistic and approachable that the business mentality has to supersede the chef mentality on that decision-making process. And you keep those things for the better of the business, mm -hmm. not to be the most creative chef. And then the gnocchi, is that gonna travel to Ash? No, I think Ash is gonna be uh, more progressive, a little bit more focused. Um, you know, we're trying to look at all the Italian restaurants that we have in Tampa, because we have a lot of great, amazing Italian Especially restaurants. Especially the past five years. Absolutely, yeah. and um, we wanna go in a different direction just so we can offer something that complements them and not something that just directly not necessarily competes, but offers the same type of food. Just want to be unique. Yeah, be I us. Understand that. So when you're at home and you've spent a long day working on all these restaurants and working with ingredients and being innovative, what do you make at home for your own comfort? <laughs> I, I get this question often, and I think I'm 
I people highly, are fascinated I highly disappoint people. I think <laughs> that they, you know, people want me to say like, I go home and I make a foie gras torchon or, you know, and I do something really elaborate, but um, I'm very fortunate because my wife loves to cook and she cooks very well. Um, if I'm going home and eating something quick, it's going to be a lot of um, crackers, nut seed crackers and hummus. <laughs> it's going to be um, Greek yogurt with mm -hmm. fruit nuts and raw honey on top and then a, a favorite a favorite simple meal is either going to be grilled chicken thighs or chicken cutlets with a little bit of arugula salad how exotic yeah no boring you, you look for comfort after a long day like anybody i do else i does. look for relatively healthy food um i don't really eat i get home not too early you know right. so i'm usually getting home late evenings uh, early nights and um i try not to eat heavy heavy things um but yeah i i eat simplistically and we do, we do eat at a lot of restaurants. So every time I go to restaurants, I throw down, but finding that balance at home is key for me. Sure. Now you you cook, your wife cooks. What about your daughter? She used to, when she used to want to hang out with us, but she's not. It'll come back. Yeah, yeah, it does. That's what, that's what you told me, right? I got to wait another two to four years before I'm cool again. But she used to, back in the day, man, she was the, the box brownie queen. Really? Yeah, yeah. She definitely threw down on some box brownies for us, but um, no, not anymore. Now she's a, a chicken tenders or going to one of our fast casual spots. It's, it, it happens. She'll <laughs> it come does. back around. So if there's a dish that you could teach her that you would want her to to have in her repertoire, what would it be? It would be the chicken cutlets, oh. man, because she crushes it. That's like her and I, we love when we're getting served some chicken cutlets and arugula salad. There's something about rubbing elbows with your family in the kitchen that it, it's intense and intimate, and that's where the memories are made. It's how I grew up. It's what brings us together, what keeps people together. I think every culture celebrates that. You know, well, I'm coming over to your house for late night hummus. Anytime. So what's in the future? What's the next concept that you're working on? So right now we're currently building Ash. Ash is going to be a modern Italian restaurant, relatively small and controllable, 84 seats on the interior, about another 45 on the exterior. That's gonna be in Water Street, mm -hmm. uh, right behind the Edition Hotel. Um, we have acquired 2000 square feet right next to that. And we're gonna be doing a really cool cocktail lounge with a music slash DJ focus on the weekends. Something that's um, focused, it's gonna be enough standing room to, to create a vibe and dance if you want, but mm -hmm. a little bit more grown up and definitely not clubby, but high energy. Um, and then we're thinking about expanding the fast casual still, you know, we're in conversations outside of the Tampa area, but still close by with the expansion of Dang Dude and Gaito again. So we'll see where that takes us. Exciting. It is exciting. It's, yeah. a, it's a, um, a future that is very bright and, uh, and I look forward to whatever you create because it's always innovative and delicious. Delicious is the important part. Um, and then you guys, of course, bring the hospitality, but I appreciate you being a guest today. Thank you so much, man. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Also keep an eye out for the new Tampa's Table, a culinary journey cookbook that's coming out this fall. Uh, we'll look forward to having more guests at the table here, culinary leaders in Tampa. And um, thank you again. <laughs>